Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Those who have come to embrace the gospel, those who have come to put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of all men and the Son of God, they are fundamentally sound. Is that not a great way to describe the Christian life? Christians are preserved people. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy, pastor of Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills, California. In any situation, God calls us to choose faith over fear. And today, Philip is showing us just how to do this, not just in a superficial way, but as a daily act of discipline. Faith is the antidote to fear. We're in a study called Psalms of Trust Statements of Faith, and you'll find related resources to this study online at ktt.org. Now, here's Pastor Philip in Psalm 16, the message titled, Safe and Sound. As Christians, our safe place is not where we live, but in whom we live. We live in Jesus Christ, and He lives in us. And we are preserved, preserved, guarded, protected, watched over. That's the message of the Psalms of Trust. This is a category of Psalms in the Psalter where the authors and the writers give expression to their confidence in God. Perhaps they have gone through the ringer. Perhaps they have walked the valley of the shadow of death and they have emerged with their faith in God intact. And they want you to know that he's worth trusting, that he can be trusted, that he should be trusted, that he's trustworthy, that your faith in the faithfulness of God is never misplaced. And so I want to come and look at Psalm 16. David is confessing faith in God, trust in God, is a life choice. It's the way he operates. We will read later on in this text, verse 8, I have always set the Lord before me. That's the way he rolls. Good days or bad days, it's all a matter of trust. So as we come to look at this psalm, Here's how I'm going to kind of work my way through it, and I hope you'll follow along with your Bibles open, take some notes. What are the means of grace that will allow you and me to express an expanding trust in God like David? Here's the first thing. Number one, God's provision. One of the great means of grace in the expression of trust is an unshakable assurance in God's sufficient and steadfast goodness toward us. All good and perfect gifts come from above. David's acknowledging that, isn't he? That any good that I know comes from you. My well-being is dependent upon you. David's acknowledging that God is the source of all good. The gift of salvation. The blessing of health. The possession of freedom. The joy of a newborn child. The delight of food. It's all from God. It's all from God's good hand. God is disposed to be a blessing and a bounty to his creation. So David's trust in God, which he expresses as a lifestyle choice, as an ongoing daily experience, it's fed by this thought that the God I trust is good. 
So here's my thought as we close this thought. Recognizing, recounting, and relishing God's goodness is a necessary discipline in the exercise of faith. Here's what you ought to be doing as you shelter in place, as you have a little bit more time in your hands, I encourage you to sit around the table as families and recount the goodness of God. Turn the pages of your life. Many dangers, toils, and snares. Through it all, you have already come, and grace that has brought you safe this far is grace that will carry you home. Recount the goodness of God, where He has healed a sickness, met a need, delivered you from evil, answered a prayer, showing himself to be strong. Do it because as you feed your soul in the unbending, unending goodness of God, your faith will get stronger. Let's move on. God's people. Those who delight in God's provision also delight in God's people as a provision. Look at verse 3. As for saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Here's another means of grace by which you and I can express an expanding trust in God. We can draw strength from God's people. We can huddle. We can exercise the one another's. And that's a great idea here. I know we're, we're limited in our movement at this moment, but I know many of you are still getting together in small numbers, family and friends. Some of you are just huddled around the television screen or the computer screen right now watching this. That's a wonderful thing. It's a means of grace to help you express a greater trust as you talk to one another, as you encourage one another, as you point one another to God as the source of, of life. Living side by side, we grow together in love, faith, and hope. Two is better than one, right? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. It's a simple point, but it's a good thought. David may even be speaking here as a king. And as a king... He finds his security and he finds his confidence not only in God, but in God's people who are looking to God themselves. They are a shoulder to lean on. The mighty warriors of Israel, the saintly saints of Israel, have come alongside David and encouraged him. Spending time with the faith community deepened the king's faith in God. Think about this. And I think you know this to be true. Fear is contagious. Okay? Fear spreads. Panic spreads. We've seen little elements of it. I don't think we're seeing half the panic that's being talked about. Somebody goes to an airport and takes one shot, and we see a ton of people in a bit of a panic. But you know what? 90% of the airport's running just fine. We tend to exaggerate things today, creating panic, bringing hyperbole into the situation because fear is contagious and it's a dangerous thing. But so is faith. Faith is contagious. Trust in God is contagious. And you know what? It's easier to find trust in ourselves toward God when we find it in others. It's easier to be strong in the Lord when you keep company with those who are strong in the Lord. Don't see that as a weakness. If there are people in your life that are encouraging you, inspiring you, that doesn't mean you're weak. It just means you're human. And you're pursuing a means of grace. It is not good that we isolate ourselves. The Christian life is a team sport. When life engulfs us, we should surround ourselves 
with saints. What about David and Jonathan? Talking about David here, the author of Psalm 16. You can write down and read it later. 1 Samuel 23, verse 16. David is on the run. Saul, out of jealousy, is trying to snuff out the candle of his life. He's in the wilderness of Ziph. He's sheltering in place. He's perhaps more than a little frightened. He has been anointed as the future king of Israel, but the circumstances look nothing like that. And in the midst of that, it says, Jonathan went out to King David or to the king in waiting. And it says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, And Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord. Is that not beautiful? Jonathan strengthened David's grip on God. That's what friends do. That's what fellowship produces. True friends make us better friends with God. True friends remind us in our weakness that God is strong. True friends remind us in our confusion God is wise. True friends remind us in our doubts that God is faithful and true. That's a wonderful thing. And you and I can be encouraged by that. In fact, if you read the Psalms, you need to keep a perspective that there's a community perspective going on here. Listen to Eugene Peterson. We often imagine wrongly that the Psalms are private compositions prayed by a shepherd, traveler, or fugitive. Close study shows that all of them are corporate. All were prayed by and in the community. It goes against the whole spirit of the Psalms to take these communal laments, these congregational praises, these corporate intercessions, and use them as a cozy formula for private solace. These Psalms were written so that the community of faith could exercise a greater faith in God together. I hope you'll draw upon one another's faith. Let me just draw a contrast. Look at verse 4. Under this thought of God's people, we've looked at God's provision, verse 2. We're looking at God's people, verse 3. But look at verse 4. Having talked about the saints of God, the excellent ones in whom David delights, he says this. He draws a contrast because the Psalms are always putting people into two categories. Have you ever noticed that? The righteous and the wicked, the godly and the ungodly. You see that even in the first Psalm in verse 6. You see it in Psalm 11 and verse 2 and 3. And David here is addressing the other category. Those who are idolaters, the ungodly, the unrighteous, the wicked. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer nor take up their names on my lips. David is drawing a contrast between the godly and the ungodly, the worshipers of God and the idolaters, the true believers and the false believers who put their trust in a false god. Notice what he says. Their sorrows will multiply. That in itself is a contrast and a distinction because in verses 5 and 6 and in verses 9 through 11, the believer's joy multiplies and extends out into eternity. Look at verse 11. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as David looks out on life, there are those who are happy and content and restful and joyful, and there are those whose sorrows are multiplying. And those whose sorrows are multiplying are those who have indeed put their trust in a false god. Now, some false gods are obvious. 
You'll see them in forms made out of stone or wood. Some gods are not so obvious because essentially idolatry is letting something or someone take the place of God as your source of joy, as your ground of confidence. And so the psalmist is saying, you know what? Their sorrows will be multiplied because they're trusting in a God who can't be trusted. Isn't that the mantra of Psalm 115, 1 to 11? Read it in your own time. They have gods, but their gods have eyes but don't see, ears that don't hear, arms that don't reach and save. So here's the point. The sorrow being spoken of here, or at least the sorrow being spoken of here, is the sorrow of finding that in your sorrow your gods are false and your trust is misplaced. And I certainly don't want to pile on to people's pain. And I certainly don't want to make a mockery of the crisis our nation is. We're pulling together as a people. But perhaps you're listening today and you're not a Christian. You haven't put your faith in the true God who's revealed himself in his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and triumphed over the grave so that we might have life eternal. Perhaps you're taking refuge in secular humanism, materialism, politics, some false prosperity gospel, some theological liberalism that turns God into a marshmallow. Are you not finding right now in the crisis that those gods feel? And in your sorrow, your sorrow is being multiplied because you have no sense of peace. You don't have the confidence that the Christian has through faith in Jesus Christ. I urge you to make God your refuge and strength. He's a very present help in this time of trouble. I ask you to make Jesus Christ your Savior. He'll show you the path to life. He will not leave you in the grave, and He will take you to heaven where there are pleasures forevermore. You know what? Calvin Miller taught for many years, I believe, at Beeson College in Alabama. He tells of bumping into an old classmate of his who was once a professing Christian, but who abandoned the faith, was now a philosophy major, was an agnostic at best, an atheist at worst, and they met for coffee. And as they met for coffee, Calvin Miller said, you know what, I was just visiting a lady who's dying in hospital I'm just interested to know, if you were in my place visiting her, what would you say? And the professor took Calvin Miller's surprise, replied, Oh, I would tell her what you told her, that Jesus loves her, that there's hope in God. Calvin Miller was shocked, and he said, But you don't believe that. To which he replied, astoundingly, Yeah, but what I believe wouldn't help her at a time like this. Is that what you're experiencing? What you believe isn't helping you at a time like this? Because you don't have a biblical worldview. You don't have a Savior and Lord so glorious as the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have the promises and assurances of God's Word. You don't have a sovereign God who's not a marshmallow, but who's working all things after the counsel of His own will. Let's move on. God's providence. God's providence. Notice Verse 5 and 6, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Here's another means of grace in the expression of trust. And this time it's a confidence in the providence of God. That God right now is working 
for your favor. And God is working all things together for good. Using the language of land inheritance, which was so near and dear to the Israeli heart, David cast God as his great possession. When Israel conquered the land of Canaan, it was divided up among the 12 tribes, and, and each tribe inherited a portion or an inheritance of the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where they could build a secure future and take care of their family and their descendants. That's the language here. But it's interesting, when you go back to that time in Joshua and the conquest of Canaan, there was one tribe, the Levites, that didn't get an inheritance. They were about God's work. They were provided for by the Lord's people. But we read in Numbers 18, verse 20, the Lord says to them, I'm your inheritance, I'm your portion. And David feels that himself. He can understand where the Levite is coming from. And the reason he can trust God, because God is his portion. He is possessed by God, and in a relative sense, he possesses God. He possesses the promises of God. God's presence is with him. God's works are all around him. David's admitting to have God is to have all things in one. I think this is a a paraphrase of something I believe C.S. Lewis said, the man who has God and nothing else is no worse than the man who has God and everything else because the man who has God has all things in one. And that's what David's saying. And you know what? That steadies the soul. That calms the mind. That fortifies the heart that's given to trouble and terror. We have all things in one. God is our portion. The God who stretched out the heavens like a scroll. The God who scooped up the earth and poured in the water and created the oceans. The God who blanketed the earth with the carpet of green grass and intact it down with flowers. That God. The God who split the Red Sea. The God who fed the Israelites for 40 years in, in the wilderness. The God who, who showed himself gloriously in Jesus Christ, his miracles and his resurrection. That God is our portion. And that's a wonderful thing to know. And then David not only acknowledges that God is his sustenance, but God is his sovereign. Continuing to use the language of allotment and apportionment, David acknowledges with a grateful heart the providential ordering of his life by God. Notice that verse 6, the lines have fallen onto me in pleasant places. I love that verse. It's been a favorite of mine across the years. The lines are the measuring lines. When the land of Canaan was divided up, some people got their allotment and it was a pleasant place upon which they could build their lives. God was good. His goodness had been shown and his providence had worked in their favor. And my friend, that's a great thought. God has governed and settled the circumstances of our lives as he did with David in amazing ways. There are no accidents, only appointments. I was rereading a wonderful sermon this week by Thomas Watson the Puritan in his book, The Body of Divinity. Here's what he says about the providence of God. I want you to listen, and I want you to discuss this with your friends and family. He says this, let the merciful providence of God cause thankfulness. 
David's certainly thankful, isn't he here? Lord, you're my proportion, my cup, you maintain my lot. The lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. Thomas Watson goes on, We are kept alive by a wonderful working providence. Providence makes our clothes to warm us and our meat to nourish us. We are fed every day out of the alms basket of God's providence. What a beautiful image. That we are in health, that we have an estate, is not our diligence, but God's providence. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives thee power to get wealth. Deuteronomy 18. Especially if you go a step further, we may see cause for thankfulness that we were born and bred in a gospel land and that we live in such a place where the sun of righteousness shines, which is a signal providence. Why might we not have been born in such places where paganism prevails? That Christ should make himself known to us and touch our hearts with his Spirit when he passes over others? Whence is this but from the miraculous providence of God and free grace? That's something to chew on today. Have the lines not fallen onto you in pleasant places, young man, being born into a Christian home? Have the lines not fallen onto us in pleasant places with the freedoms and blessings and luxuries that adorn life in the United States, perhaps stuff we have got used to and we haven't acknowledged our Creator? All the lines have fallen onto us in pleasant places and it feeds our faith. Hey, Philip DeCourcy again. I just want to take a moment to tell you a bit about the ministry of Know the Truth and why we exist. Do you ever watch the evening news and find yourself completely shocked at what you see? I know I do. It's hard to believe how far our society has fallen from the truth of God's Word. We live in a world where it seems falsehood is king and truth is described as something relative, even non-existent. The search for it, futile. But the Bible says that truth has always existed and that truth took on human flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, and it therefore can be known. We can indeed know the truth because truth is a person named Jesus. Jesus tells us that in John 14, 6. The sad reality of our fallen and dying world is due to a lack of knowing truth, a lack of knowing the Savior Jesus Christ. And that's why Know the Truth exists. It's our mission, our joy, our passion to share the gospel with a world in desperate need of truth through clear, compelling, convictional Bible teaching. The Word of God itself is truth. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Yes, amen. Thank you, Pastor. And if you believe in what we're doing here at Know the Truth and you'd like to get involved in making the truth of God's Word known, the best way to get involved is by becoming one of our Truth Ambassadors. These monthly supporters help cover the many costs it takes to plan, produce, and distribute Know the Truth on the radio and Internet. Their faithful monthly gifts help reach men and women all over the country and world with God's Word at no cost to them. Truth Ambassadors also receive exclusive resources from Pastor Philip, including a special welcome package, a monthly newsletter just for them, and a copy of each monthly resource. In May, you'll receive the book Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God by Tim Challies. If you or someone you know is going through a season of loss and could use some encouragement and strengthening, then this book is for you. It's an honest look at grief, fear, faith, and hope and it will help readers behold the goodness of God in all of life's seasons. 
You can request your copy today with a gift of any amount. Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And when you make a donation of $40 or more, more resources are coming your way. We'll send you the Psalms of Trust personal devotional booklet, a companion resource for our current study, Psalms of Trust Statements of Faith, as well as direct online access to the entire series. Again, call 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. And one last thing, be sure to connect with us on social media. Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Be sure to come back tomorrow when Philip DeCourcy concludes his message, Safe and Sound. That's on the Friday edition of Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.